if we're going to be an influence in the world, we've got to be with people that we disagree with. Welcome to season three of the My Story podcast. My name's Conrad Weaver. I'm your host. You know, it's hard to believe it's already 2021. In some ways, we thought this year would never get here, but now we're here. And I hope you plan on making the most out of the new year. One way that you can do that is to subscribe to the My Story podcast. I have amazing guests lined up for this third season, and you don't want to miss any of them including my guest today, my good friend, Lance Birch. Lance pastors a church in the Omaha, Nebraska area, and he's working on a documentary about the underground karaoke scene in Omaha. Who knew? Stick around for his compelling story and learn how a bike ride revealed a side of him that surprised and challenged him. But first, Thanks for taking time to listen to the My Story podcast. I'm always thrilled and I'm honored that so many of you listen in. If you enjoy what you hear, be sure to hit the subscribe button and leave a review on Apple Podcasts. That would just make my heart sing. And at the end of the show, I'll also tell you how you can access the exclusive video of this very interview. And now, here's my interview with Lance Birch. Lance Birch, welcome to the My Story Podcast. Thank you so much for being on the show today. Man, I am happy to be here. It's uh, it's just an honor to be with a good friend from Maryland. So you and I met here in Maryland, I don't know how many yeah. years ago, a while back. Yeah. And uh, you were at a church that we were attending and you were the youth pastor for our kids. Yeah. For a number of years. Absolutely. And so, uh, so tell us a little bit about who you are and what do you do? Okay, well, my name's Lance Birch. I am a pastor in Omaha, Nebraska at Reality Church. I'm married to Amy. We have five beautiful daughters, and I've been doing ministry now for, gosh, 32 years. Um, and so that's who I am. I, I'm, a, I'm a Billy Joel fan. <laughs> I've had my... <laughs> That, that might be something you just confess. Um, I'm a Billy Joel fan. I love good stories. What's your um, favorite Billy Joel song? Uh, you know, I think I'd go for a deep cut called All for Lena. It's about a guy who just can not get over his girlfriend. And uh, he's just, he can't move on until his dad just tells him to stop, you know, and and get over this girl. I don't think very many people know that song, but I think it's uh, sad and hilarious. Is that in time. your is that in your karaoke repertoire? Um, it's not because you know the the people don't have that. But when I formed a um, I formed a Billy Joel cover band called Silly Joel, where we would play some uh, Billy Joel songs, and I would tell some jokes. Uh, we did all for Elena, uh, and. So I was able to sing it. <laughs> That's awesome. That's awesome. We won't get too deep into your karaoke background, but uh, I want to touch on that somewhat. So how okay. did you get to where you are today? I mean, what was that process like? Well, that's, a, I mean, first of all, I didn't think I was going to be a pastor. I wanted to be a comedian or a filmmaker or an actor. And when I was about 16 years old, 
I really did feel like God was calling me into ministry. And, uh, and then eventually I got to do all of those things just in ministry, but I had some great mentors and they encouraged me. Then I decided, okay, I, I can do this. I had some, a youth pastor and I thought I could do that. And I think God's calling me to do that. So I went to East Texas Baptist University in Marshall, Texas, got a degree, um, met and married Amy along the way, and basically have just been listening or, or trying to, to hear what is God telling me to do. Now, often it's just like, you can go here or here. I'm going to bless you either way. But the way I ended up in Maryland was crazy. I mean, I didn't know Maryland. I, I was from Texas. <laughs> and... The, those are definitely Yankees to everybody in Texas. <laughs> Even though we're a little south of the Mason-Dixon line, right? <laughs> yeah, they don't care. North Texas is Yankees, but uh, they they probably don't even drink sweet tea there. What are you doing moving your kids to Maryland? And uh, But I was praying about it, and I was behind a car at a red light in Texas, and there was a Maryland plate on it. And I thought, wow. I was already talking to the church. And I said, Amy, let's go down to the south of Texas to uh, Houston area, Galveston area, actually, and let's just pray about this. And I hopped on a ferry boat with Amy, and we went up to the top, went into a gift store, and the girl was talking about the ugly Texas beaches. And I said, well, where are you from? She said, Maryland. <laughs> and at the time, I only knew two Maryland towns, Baltimore and Mount Airy, where Steve Friends was from, because he was on the, he was the leader of the search team for the youth mm. pastor. And I said, well, what city? And she said, Mount Airy. And I went, okay. <laughs> All right. I think we're going to Maryland. Uh, and the same kind of thing happened in Omaha. You know, when I started to leave, I did 23 years of student ministry. Mm. And then I thought, well, what if God's calling me to be a lead pastor? I sent one resume to a town that I thought was Papillon, Nebraska, <laughs> and, but it was Papillion. And they called me back. I only sent one. I said, if you want me to be a lead pastor, God, you can probably do this with just one resume. Hmm. And sure enough, uh, that's how I ended up lead pastor of Reality Church. So what's the, what's the biggest difference between a lead pastor of a church and a youth pastor? <laughs> um, the weight. You know, besides being able to break things and get away with it as the youth pastor, <laughs> um, I think it's – I didn't realize the weight of – of everything. I know, I don't, I know it doesn't belong on me, but I'm just telling you that, you know, the, when things go wrong or when it, I never worried about the finances hmm. of the church when I was the youth pastor mm -hmm. until the very last few years. And I think that was because maybe God was calling me that direction, but I would just say, um, dealing with, and I didn't worry about, necessarily the culture. I know I was probably contributing to the culture, but now as the leader, you're trying to create the culture and uh, just, just all, it's fun. I love it, mm -hmm. but that's the big difference. So I have to ask this. So I, I spent some years in youth ministry and, and have some of my own stories. What's something you did as a youth pastor? You look back now, you're like, holy cow, I did that. Oh, uh, do you mean in a good way or a bad way? <laughs> Either way. <laughs> Either way. <laughs> my, my most embarrassing youth pastor moment is our church in Louisiana got a new van. And I took it out somewhere and backed it up. 
and I scraped, it was a new van in a very small church. And I scraped the side of the van, um, on a stop sign, you know, the, the pole. And, and I didn't tell anybody, like I, I didn't tell anybody. And then I realized that they were taking the van in because there was some sort of recall and they got something new and me and the pastor went to go pick up the van and he noticed the scrape and he started yelling at the, the car dealership where we had taken it to, how did you do this? And I'm sitting there watching him yell at this guy (laughs) and I never say a thing. I mean, and I, like, it's so embarrassing to, to even say that, but I never told anybody and the guy said, we're so sorry. And they fixed it for free. Um, <laughs> I still looking back on that, can't believe that I didn't muster up the courage to say it was me. But yeah. So I'm going to ask this question later on, but so what's the biggest life lesson you learned in youth ministry? Believe in the next generation and listen and be curious about the next generation and then you earn something that you can't demand, which is uh, re- kind of re- the respect to be heard or the right to be heard. I think so many people want to barge into, and this is a lot of life, but want to barge into someone's life, tell them what they know, and never really be curious about who, who this person is. And that's the biggest life lesson I ever learned because. So many times, people who had been written off, you, you, you say, well, let me take them out to lunch, you know, and you just develop a relationship with them. And they're, they're, not, um, they're not evil, but they are maybe damaged or broken and, and all sorts of other stuff. And so I think that's the biggest thing I took away. What's been the biggest change in youth culture that you've seen through your years of, of ministry? It's, it was different about every five years, it seemed like. And since I've been out of it, and I still love student ministry, what I see now is an, when I was in student ministry as a high schooler, we were closed off from each other. We were mainly putting on shows, you know, like pretending to be something so we could be cool. Somewhere along the line, it switched to admitting your weaknesses and admitting your vulnerabilities and, um, you know, owning your laundry list of things that are wrong with you became, in some ways, a a cool thing. I mean, being way more open about life. And I I think that that students today say things that I never would have said um, to each other. And... I don't know that that's a bad thing. I think that kind of opens some doors up uh, in the church. But that, that's one thing. I, I think that there are way more kids that are hurting. I don't think that that's – I think way more kids are dealing with anxiety. Social media has been a sea change hmm. for these kids, and I don't – I'm so glad it wasn't around when I was hmm. growing up. Uh, I don't think they really have the um, maturity – to deal with everything that's coming at them. And so I think it's in some ways putting undue pressure Mm -hmm. and undue weight on people that really aren't uh, designed to, to carry that. Mm -hmm. That's one of the big differences. Mm -hmm. So, so what motivates you to do what you do to, to pastor a church, to take care of, you know, your, your people to, to lead, what motivates you in those areas? I love 
I love truth. And I think when truth is applied to life, it's life giving. You know, Jesus said, you'll know the truth and the truth will set you free. Well, I actually think a lot of people are um, uh, like in bondage Hmm. to lies that the enemy told them. uh, And so I love to poke holes in the lies that I think the enemy is telling our culture or telling uh, or speaking into marriages or families or, or masculinity or femininity or all these things. I mean, and and look, I mean, the field is white uh, when it comes to lies. So there are tons of them. And I love, I love uh, using, using scripture, which, which is truth to illustrate and to expose lies. And, and I feel like if people can see them for what they are, then they won't be as attractive. At least that's, that's what I think. I think the Holy Spirit partners, well, obviously with us in this and, and kind of reveals the few, the, the garbage that's out there and the futility of following those lies. So that's, that's what motivates me. That's what gets me up. You know, looking at your your church looking at the culture looking at the community you're you're serving what what drives you or, or what makes you make decisions on what to speak about on a sunday or on a, on a on, on a service what you know, you know how does that how does that determine your path how, how, what, what what's the process there we plan our calendar a year in advance and that didn't work out well this past <laughs> year we did, we did a lot of changing. Uh, and for instance, right now, we're starting a series called Torn Together. Hmm. Because if you haven't noticed it, there seems to be a divide in our country. Hmm. And it's not that people are wrong anymore. It's not that that side is wrong. It's like you're wrong and you're evil. Hmm. And that's so damaging to a country. We can't just disagree with each other anymore. And in the wake of the election, oh my gosh, now it's like, you know, this crowd is evil and they're destroying our country. And so we're doing Torn Together, which basically hits a cultural need. We're we're actually, it's a book study. It's Ephesians 4, 5, and 6, talking about unity, unity around a cause, unity in love, unity, um, you know, and it actually talks against coarse jesting and foolish talk. And I mean, what, what is social media except that? And then the very end of it, Ephesians 6, it says, yes, there's an enemy. There is an enemy, but it's not who you think it is. Mm-hmm. So that motive, I mean, that determines sometimes, you know, like if it's big and it's going on in our country, does the word of God speak to it? And if it does, where and how can we um, expose the lie by you know, kind of talking about the truth. So that's part of it. Some of it is just, here's some truth that's universal that needs to be told. God's grace is free. I mean, God's offering salvation to people. We do a series on that every year. You know, relationship series. When, when is that going to be something that people don't need to hear about? People, mm-hmm. people are always in relationship. So, um, yeah, the common human thread, but also... I mean, Paul wrote these letters and the, and the Gospels were written and the Old Testament was written because we're, we're dealing with a bunch of broken people and these words speak into it. So we also love to do like book studies because mm-hmm. Paul is talking to real people in a real church that are screwed up and 
he's dealing with the issues that are going on there. Hmm. So what, what's the role of the church when it comes to issues like racial injustice? We, we have to, and I've gotten some really negative feedback from this, just even mentioning it. And I don't know that that negative feedback is coming from, you know, someone that I would say, put a label on like you're racist, but I do think there's a lot of fear out there. So the church's role is to be fearless in talking about very real issues. And when you get pushback for those issues, it's not a signal to stop talking about those issues. Um, now, you're, you might do it wrong, but the church has to be fearless in saying, God helping us, we're not going to ignore the fact that there are some people who feel disenfranchised. Why would the church ignore that there is a group of people who feel, even if it's just feeling disenfranchised, you don't walk up to a kid lost in the supermarket and say, hey, kid, it's no big deal. Your mom's probably two aisles over. You, you actually empathize with the child himself. Now, I'm not comparing any, any group of people to the child. I'm just saying, if you want to help someone, you empathize with them. And so I think if the church can't or won't, then that sends a signal to me that we are, we are missing the heart of Christ. Did, I mean, Christ basically, he condescended to us. All of our problems and our issues, we don't have any food. Uh, you know, how are we going to feed these 5,000 people? Jesus could have said, idiots, don't you know who I am? But he never, he never really did that. And so I think we have to, you know, use the spirit of Christ and the heart of Christ to move into these situations and say, man, what does love look like? And what does love require of me in this circumstance? Mm -hmm. With racial injustice, with, um, with, you know, even uh, the Me Too movement, with basically any movement where there are disenfranchised people, we don't have to put a stamp of approval and say, you're right in everything that you're saying. But we have to say, wow, is that the way I made you feel? Mm. That's awful. And we, we're going to change something because whatever the end result was, you feel disenfranchised and you feel out. And that's not what Christ wants for you. And it's not how he, he doesn't want me to ignore that. Mm -hmm. I, I think one of the biggest examples of, of Christ doing that was the woman at the well, the Samaritan woman. You talk yeah. about a dis, disenfranchised group. Yeah. And what's funny about that story is how did the disciples get into town? If there was one well and one town, then they passed this lady quite possibly on the, on the pathway to the town and walked right past her and probably actually avoided her. Hmm. And yet Jesus talks to her. And that's kind of what I'm talking about is the church taking a wide berth around something. That's hmm. an opportunity for safety's sake or propriety's sake, or we don't want to be misunderstood. And I think that's what the disciples did around the woman who was going to have a, an appointment with Jesus. So what's a practical way to live out what Jesus did and, and to love those who, with whom we may disagree? Well, I mean, first you have to be around people that you disagree with. <laughs> I mean, if we insulate ourselves, Christians are awesome at doing subculture. We'll, we'll build a bubble around anything. 
You got music? Good. We got Christian music. You got movies? Good. Fine. We got Christian movies. Um, you got books? Fine. We're gonna, you, got, you got romance novels? Great. We're going to do Christian romance novels. Um, and I think, man, if we're going to be an influence in the world, we've got to be with people that we disagree with and work on that. And when you feel your throat getting tight and your chest getting tight, that actually says a whole lot about your own belief system and whether you've worked it out yet. Uh, mm-hmm. If we can be relaxed and normal and talk with people that we disagree with, that's step one. I mean, I think step two is, is what Carrie Newhoff calls just curiosity. Ask, ask two or three questions before you start launching into your, um, your sales pitch or your, you know, your, your long talk. Mm-hmm. And that's something I've, trying to, um, I've been trying to work on is just ask a couple more questions. And when people ask me questions, I think I like them mm-hmm. and <laughs> because they're interested in me. And I want to be, I want to be that kind of person. Mm-hmm. So I would love, I don't exactly know all of it because I think the church is just kind of beginning at this, but be curious, love them by being around them and not rejecting them. Mm-hmm. That's good advice. If you could go back to your first day as the lead pastor, what would you tell yourself? Is this going to be edited? <laughs> <laughs> yes, we can edit. <laughs> so... <laughs> What would I tell myself on my first day? Um, I would say, don't give up. You're going to be, you're going to think that you're going to, that this thing's not going to work, but it is. Uh, You're going to learn a lot. People are going to say, you know, people are going to leave the church. Don't sweat it. I would say that. And I would say, don't, don't be a big mouth. Don't come in and tell people that you know how to fix things. Uh, I think that would have helped a lot. Hmm. Wow. So last year or two years ago, you decided to take an epic journey. Yeah. And you took a bicycle and you went to the West Coast and you rode from Oregon to Virginia, coast to coast. Why? Well, I... My parents owned a bike shop when I was growing up, and I always loved riding a bike, number one. I, all, I always loved camping, and here's a way to combine, and, and I'm an introvert, and here's a way to combine three things about me, cycling, camping, and being alone, and I started watching YouTube videos, and that's always dangerous, of people who are doing these cross-country bike trips, and I was turning 50, and I thought, there's 50. I should have done it when I was 48, but because um, there's 48, uh, you know, states here. Um, but I decided I'm 50. I'm going to ride across the states. And then I t- started talking to a guy named Paul Loyless at Compassion International. And he said, Lance, what if we combine this with a fundraiser for highly vulnerable children? And that kind of solidified the whole thing. Hmm. Um, and my church gave me a sabbatical. Um, basically three months to go and do this and raise this money. And we ended up raising around $26,000 for highly vulnerable children, which was, that was encouraging. Mm -hmm. But there was another thing, the call, I mean, just the, 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 just do it. Um, I don't know if you know the Enneagram, Mm -hmm. but I'm like an, an eight wing seven Mm -hmm. and the seven in me just wants the next thing. Um, Mm -hmm. 
And so, and I, and I wanted to see the country slow mm-hmm. and all of it, all of it came true. I mean, <laughs> but that's, that's what got me on the road. What was your biggest surprise on the road? This is going to sound so weird in light of where we're at as a country. But what surprised me on the road was how not divided we are or how alike we are Hmm. when it comes to people who have vastly different political opinions. They all laugh. They all have fun. They all have hopes and dreams. And and I had conversations with literally every type of person Hmm. you could want to meet. And the funny thing was, is they're all still made in the image of God. They all still have those fears. And, and I know it's weird to say in this environment, but it really struck me how not divided we were if, if we would get curious about each other. Mm-hmm. You know, that's something interesting you say that. So I've become a fan and now friends with a guy you may have seen his YouTube channel, uh, Ryan Banduzer. Oh, really? So, so he had the same expression. He said when he and his friend Allie rode across the country this past year, he said they met so many people and he said, you know, people think that, you know, that it's dangerous out there. But he said, people are so nice. Yes. And he even, he even, his, his first journey was from actually Honduras to Colorado. He repedaled that 5,000 miles. Oh, across Guatemala, across Mexico. And he said, you know, people always say, wow, it's dangerous. He said, people were so nice. Yeah. And I think it's, it's a perception that is out there that the world is this way because they're looking through the camera lens and they see only what the camera lens sees. Yeah. But if you broaden your horizon and you start meeting the people, I think we get a different picture. Yeah, I, I'm so sad that, that it's the loudest people that get yeah. heard in our country. It's the yeah. screamer and the people who get clicks. And the, you get clicks by being obnoxious and mm-hmm. saying really awful things. Mm-hmm. And that's just not who's out there. It's not. I, people were wanting to help. People would slow down and say, do you have a place to stay tonight? And I've got all my bags there. Mm-hmm. You know, do you want to... and. I don't know. It was just over and over again. Sometimes they would just stop on a, on a hill and say, you got this. Hmm. And they would drive away and they'd have bumper stickers that would be, uh, you know, opposed to my worldview. Hmm. But, but it didn't matter to me because they had just said, I, I can hmm. climb this hill. And so, I don't know. I, it, was, it was encouraging. Mm-hmm. So, would you do it again? I would definitely do it again. In fact, I, I think I got a little bit used to the rhythm, waking up in the morning, packing up, leaving, finding something new. Uh, it almost feels like I was born for that. And I think that's why God always has me doing something new, but I'd do it again. In fact, I'm going to Australia um, in 2021 to ride across Australia with a group of riders. Hmm. And that'll be well, a new experience. That will be an adventure because Australia yeah. has some really remote areas. <laughs> yes and that's where we're going to we're not we just I, I actually checked on this we're taking this diagonal across the desert from perth to newcastle wow uh, uh there's just the outpost you know along yeah. the way sometimes yeah and they have big spiders 
Thanks. Thanks. <laughs> so beware. <laughs> they have one I spider. Think- when I was there in, oh man, years ago, 1988, I went to Australia for six weeks. And yeah. we never saw one. Well, we think we might have saw one, but there's this spider called a funnel web spider. And yeah. if they bite you, you have 20 minutes to live. What? Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, so don't get there, bitten. <laughs> is there any funnel spider repellent that I need to be aware of? There probably is. I'm sure there's probably, I, I don't think they're that aggressive, but you know, if you get near them, they, they, they hate cyclists. They hate cyclists, right? <laughs> They'll come onto the road with their fangs out there. <laughs> no, no, well, that's, you know, I think, Doing things like a bike ride that's, you know, three or 4,000 miles is, is challenging. In fact, I'm working on one for myself for 22, for 2022. Way to go. Yeah. So really excited. We're, you know, in the early stages of planning and putting it together and, but it's something, it's a challenge that is beyond what I think is my ability. Right. You know, and I want to push that. I want to see what I can do. Is that something you felt? Oh, yeah. Um, And and a lot of people, I get motivated negatively a lot. Um, That might be some sort of thing that's wrong with me. (laughs) But if people tell me I can't do something, it does light a fire in me. And I did have some people say, I don't think you can make it across the country. And I loved it. Hmm. Uh, I'm so weird about this that if I'm on a big climb and cars are passing me, I imagine that they're saying, you're not going to make it up to the top of this. Hill. <laughs> I use then, that. And then you're saying, I'm going to prove it to you. I'm going to prove it to people who didn't even think that they could be cheering me on. I don't know. Oh uh, yeah. What was one of the hardest moments of your, of your trip? I, uh, I bit off more than I could chew out of Yellowstone. I had an 87 mile ride and I had already called ahead to a bed and breakfast and because I would I didn't want to camp I knew I was going to be late I knew it was going to be cold and I had a very big climb and this bed and breakfast was on the top of a mountain Hmm. so I was coming out it stormed on me that day it was raining all day and I was climbing this mountain and it was about 8 30 8 45 at night getting dark and the wind was picking up and I was just miserable. It was raining and I just, I couldn't quit because I had this place and I didn't have any other place to go. And I prayed to God, I said, God, please make it stop raining. <laughs> and he answered me and it started hailing <laughs> on me. And it was, and I, the wind was about 40 miles an hour. I'm not kidding. Uh, it was, was not it a headwind. Yeah, it was, well, it was a, it was a headwind crosswind. It was okay. just like variable. And because I was getting nearing the top of the mountain and I, I, it was knocking me off my bike. So I got off my bike. I was warm up until this point. I got off my bike and I was uh, walking it and, and thumbing. Thank God. The first people that passed me by a truck carrying a trailer uh, pulled over. I got my tr- uh, bike in. And immediately after I stopped pedaling and got in their um, truck, hypothermia set in. I wasn't Hmm. thinking clearly. I was shaking. They were asking me where I was going. I didn't, I mean, I could tell them that I was, it was right down the road, but I called Amy that night and she said I was basically incoherent. Um, Hmm. 
they were giving me uh, like hot chocolate and feeding me chili. I think they tried to give me some whiskey. You know, they, they were just trying to take care of me. Sure. And um, it was one of those moments where if, if that road had been deserted, I guess I just would have kept riding and kept my body temperature up. I was only a mile away oh, wow. from, from the, the place that I was staying that night. But it was, I was close to the brink at that point. Hmm. I don't know how it's gone. Hmm. Well, but I won't do, share that with my friends. <laughs> yeah, don't, don't, just don't do that. I mean, that was just a, it was a bad plan that yeah. day. Yeah. So as, as we got into last year now, in 2020. Yeah. And we went through this crazy pandemic, probably still in it now. Yeah. How do you, what do you do as a church? What do you do as a, you know, as a leader in your community to bring hope, to inspire hope, to, to, to inspire people to do the right thing. I mean, what, what do you do? Well, I mean, first of all, you just get, you feel the weight of it first. I mean, like I would love to have just this snap answer. Like, here's what you do, but that, that's really not how the answers come to you. Mm -hmm. So I usually get around a group of people that are smarter than me and say, guys, we, we've got to communicate, uh, you know, hope because we know how this thing ends. And, um, the way we did it is we just got really super creative and we decided you can't stop the church. You, you just can't, you, you know, people started talking about the church is shutting down. You can't shut down the church. We're everywhere. And so we started talking about that. And, one of the more disturbing things we got was emails with ideas for the church to do. You know, here's one thing the church ought to do. And I thought, man, our teaching has been drowned out by our structure. People don't understand that they are the church, that they, they have the freedom to do these things. So we started a steady diet of, you know, you are the church. Now we did, we did close our doors to, of course, public gatherings. And we ended up doing drive-in church church around around town we had a guy it's got a digital uh, incredible guy jerry teeter he owns legion digital and he donated his uh trucks digital billboard trucks and digital billboard trailers to us to be able to do a uh, drive-in another guy donated all the fm equipment so that we could broadcast to to people and we went online but the thing about the whole deal is we kept on communicating. We ended up calling everybody on our, in our, in our church, um, dividing up. That was, it was an undertaking, but we had enough people on staff to call them and say, Hey, what do you need? Uh, what can we do for you? And then we started a movement called reality cares, which was a yard sign that could be put in somebody's yard and say, Hey, do you need help? Uh, this family cares basically. I'll go get groceries for you. I'll, you know, I'll watch your kids, you know, whatever it is that you need in the neighborhood anyway, neighborhood setting. And so to, to kind of give, get people out of their own, man, here's what I'm missing or here's what I'm scared of. Instead, doing the Christian thing, which is right in the middle of the mess going, well, we know how this thing ends. So we're not, we're not upset about what the score is right now because we know what the end score is going to be. So in the meantime, what can we do? And we didn't do it perfectly, but I think that's what we tried to do at the beginning and kind of what we're still trying to do. Mm -hmm. What well, was looking back at the past year? What was, what's one of the things that you learned about yourself? 
this past year that I, I that I'm a fixer that I move way too fast to um, I move way too fast to trying to get the thing fixed. That's why I talk about curiosity, not because I'm awesome, but because I need to develop the discipline of curiosity and listening. Um, so that's one thing I always want to tell people it's no big deal or, you know, here's step one, two or three that we're going to get there. And I've learned that what's really needed is that person has a need, not, not the thing they need to, they need to know that I'm with them, that I'm for them and that I understand where they're coming from. And that's just not, that's not something I'm strong in and I'm trying to get stronger in that. Mm-hmm. Wow. So looking at your life over the past 50 some years, what are some of those big life lessons you've learned? You kind of alluded to them earlier, but what are some of the big life lessons that you can say, Hey, this is a principle. It's something I've learned that has shaped who I am or is shaping who I am. I had a big one. Well, number one, make sure for me, make sure that your relational bridge is strong enough to carry the truth that you have over to somebody. Don't just, don't just spout off truth, truth to people. I, I learned that lesson the hard way by breaking relationships when I'm just telling them the truth mm-hmm. on the, on the bike ride. I learned a lesson about anger and I didn't realize that I'm angry, that I've got a certain level of anger in me that I was unaware of. And the way I discovered that was that I would be riding and having a great day and praying and it's beautiful. The winds blowing, the sun is shining. And then I would hit rumble strips on my bike and I could go from, Oh dear Lord. It's just so it's just like, it's just there, you know? And I think where in the world did that come from? And I realized that that doesn't, that doesn't come from nowhere. I mean, it's there. And the rumble strips started illustrating to me that no matter who I think I am, that there's something underneath me. And so I, I started praying about that and I said, God, can you take that away or show me the source of it or what's, what's going on? Why do I think the world should just, you know, meet me with, with, you know, blessings and awesomeness? Why do I think that everything ought to work out? And, and then eventually it got to the point where, and this is awesome, by the end of the ride, if I hit rumble strips, I would start laughing and it brought out joy in me where it used to bring out this incredible just anger. And so I've decided to say to myself in life, it's just rumble strips. Mm-hmm. I mean, there, there's so many things that, that set people off and just they're immediately up. And now I, I'm hoping, and I do this a lot, I just go it you know what? That's just rumble strips. You miss an exit in a car. No big deal. Try missing an exit on a bike. (laughs) That's a total different deal. So don't be upset about it. It's just rumble strips. And rumble strips on our bike are are quite a bit different than rumble strips in the car. (laughs) Oh yes, they are. They're jarring. They'll, they'll knock your teeth out. I'm I'm sure we'll probably experience some of that on our trip uh, in a couple of years. So yeah, you will. Yeah. So one thing I like to ask, you know, as you know, I'm a filmmaker and I, I tell stories 
And whenever you're working on a film, you write this thing called a log line. Yeah. So when the movie about your life is made, what will the log line be? I hope it'll be, uh, he wanted to quit, but he didn't. Hmm. Because, yeah, that would be it, I think. You don't like to admit to people that you feel like giving up. But the, there are times, no matter who you are, when, no matter how optimistic you are, it doesn't seem like it's going to work out. And then there's something in me, I hope, and I think, it's, I think God has given me this. There's something in me that when I reach the end of those reserves, just doggedly says, I don't care. I am not quitting. And I think that'll be it. And that means everything. He didn't quit loving his wife. He didn't quit parenting his kids. He didn't quit sharing the gospel. And whatever it is, uh, if it's a thing that is built into what God wants me to do, I felt like quitting all of them. And I think everybody does. And you need, <laughs> and, but you don't. And so that, that's what I hope it would be. Hmm. Awesome. So what's the next big thing for you? Well, I'm trying to make a documentary about karaoke. Um, called Tell Fly me about Over. that. <laughs> yeah. Um, flyover karaoke, and it might end up being a flyover series of documentary films where basically the idea is that I live in a flyover country. Uh, I live in flyover country where people go from L.A. to New York to New York to L.A. and they just never land here. But there's beautiful people here. And more than that, I think there's flyover people, flyover subcultures. And I didn't realize that karaoke was a subculture. I thought that karaoke was just something that people on a lark, you know, it's five o'clock. I'm sick of life. Let's go sing some songs together. And what I found was, no, there are people who do it almost every night of the week. They follow around their DJs. And um, I, got it, I got fascinated by them. And why people, I mean, I've been raised in church. I know that I love to sing. I know I love to sing corporately. But why does everybody like that? Hmm. What is it about us that makes us want to stand in front of people and sing along with people? What's going on there? And so I, want, I got curious about it. And uh, it might end up being, you know, about Omaha mainly. And so I could do flyover comedy because there's a comedy scene here, flyover, you know, flyover music, which hmm. there's a jazz scene here, uh, you know, local music. Mm -hmm. And I just love the idea of bringing attention to something that people just fly over. Hmm. Uh, they don't, they just kind of go around. And so I want to put the spotlight on it. And you're not only the filmmaker, producer, whatever your role is there, but you're also a participant in karaoke. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, I think, I think if you're going to make a film about something, it ought to, it really ought to be about something that you genuinely, you ought not go into it trying to make fun of it. You ought to love it. And, and maybe that's not everybody, but I think that's the only way that I could do it. I have to be really interested in it. Mm -hmm. So does your audience in the karaoke bars know that you're a pastor? Yeah, they do now. <laughs> <laughs> you know, that's something that you normally keep under wraps for a while. <laughs> Because you want the real people. Um, but amazingly, I've had really great conversations, open, authentic conversations at a karaoke bar that, that are like 
what I would have in a life group discussion. So yeah, they know I'm a pastor now. They introduce me sometimes as a pastor. There's a pastor reality church coming up to sing Michael Buble, you know? And uh, so that's, it's fun. You know, that's yeah. fine. I like surprising people. So that's, mm. that's part of it too. Mm-hmm. Very cool. Well, Lance, it's been a pleasure talking with you and having you on the My Story podcast. Thank you for sharing your bits of wisdom for our audience. <laughs> you know, what's funny about this, you're far more interesting than me. I want to interview you and, uh, and pick your brain about all the stuff that you do and are doing. I can't wait to follow your bike ride. Uh, that's going to be super exciting. I'm going to live my life through you. <laughs> well, we're excited. We are planning on shooting a documentary of sorts for our bike ride and including the training. So then <laughs> the next year we'll be training. So uh, that'll be interesting. Oh, oh, one more thing. You're not going to be ready. Um, <laughs> one thing that the transit, uh, the, that the transatlantic trail taught me was the trail trains you. Hmm. Um, you can think you're ready, but there are just, the trail gets you ready. And I think that's kind of like, you know, really that's kind of like life. Yeah. You know, yeah. Like who's ready to get married? <laughs> Nobody. Who's, who's, who's ready to have ready? kids, right? <laughs> who's ready to have kids? Nobody is. Right. The trail yeah. So you're, yeah. you're going to enjoy that part of it, I think too. Yeah, I know <laughs> we will. We're, we're actually doing a version of the Transamerica Trail, but we're going to diverge in Wyoming. We're going to cut straight across and come across Nebraska. Yay. Yeah. You get a place to stay in Omaha, Nebraska. Well, thank you. Thank you. And we're really excited about that because I wanted to go through the Sand Hills um, yeah. and, and do some of that. We're going to stop in Scotts Bluff and then go north to Alliance where the car hinge is. And yes. Then, <laughs> and cut across, cut across some of the Sand Hills and then back. And, and it's some areas that I've wanted to come through. I mean, I've been through those areas myself, but I, it's, I just want to ride through them and see him slow. Yeah. So that'll be fun. So Lance Birch, thank you for, for being on the My Story podcast. How can people get in touch with you? Where can they find your church and yeah. information like that? Well, our church is uh, just at reality.church, www.reality.church. So you can, you can see us there. You can find us on Facebook, but there is another, you know, there's other reality churches out there. So put in Omaha. So you can watch our services on, um, if you go to our website, you can watch us at Church Online, which is an interactive um, webcast. You can see find us on Facebook or YouTube Live as well. But, you know, our church exists to break down barriers between people and Jesus. And if you're interested in that or becoming a barrier breaker, then check us out. Uh, we we want to equip you to do that. Very good. Thanks for being on the show. And... Uh... And hope you have a great 2021. Absolutely. Lance, it's always a pleasure to talk with you. Thanks so much for coming on the show. And I want to be sure to schedule another interview with you when you get back from your bike ride across Australia. I want to know if you had any encounters with those dangerous spiders. Next time on the My Story podcast, we will hear my interview with the 2011 Miss America. Teresa Scanlon was only 17 years old when she took the crown in 2011. We'll hear her amazing story of what led up to becoming Miss America and how the challenges and stress of that experience have helped shape who she is today. So be sure to come back and join us next time on the My Story Podcast. 
You have been listening to the My Story Podcast. My name is Conrad Weaver. I've been your host for the show, and I'm so happy that you decided to stop by and listen to our show today. If you'd like to see the interviews that I record here on the My Story Podcast, be sure to join us on Patreon and become a member of the show where you can have access to all the videos for this show and others along the way. The music for today's show is provided by my friend Drew Davidson. You can get all of his music on iTunes or Spotify or at drewdavidson.com. Thanks for listening to today's show. Come back next time for a brand new episode right here on the My Story Podcast. Podcast.